Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, August 8th, 2008. This week, episode 92 comes to you once again from beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, a Radio Joe, and here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Good afternoon. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Good afternoon, Cliff. And at the controls, the wingman, Chris Boisel. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Looks like we're going to have our technical director with us later today. We'll bring him in about halfway through the first part. Today's segments include the microband trivia question. We've got Brian McFarlane from Legends Environmental Insurance Services. We're going to stop halfway through for an IE Connections What's News with Glenn Fellman. I hear he's got some uh, big breaking news today. Then we're going to come back, uh, finish up our interview with Brian, and go to the roundtable where we'll bring everyone back in to round things up. We've been working on that iaqradio.com website. Check out the blog every week after the show. And before we get started, we've got to thank our sponsors. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. All right, all those sponsors are also linked on our website at iaqradio.com. To contact the show, you can call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. Press the number 1, and you can join the show. You can also download the show later or stream the show later by going to the iaqradio.com website and following the link that says go to the show. We appreciate suggestions. We'll answer questions. And take requests if you email us at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com or cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Don't forget you can get your IICRC continuing education credits or IAQ council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz. That email again is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, Please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
Congratulations go out to two winners who correctly answered last week's microband trivia question. We're looking for the derivation of the word asthma. The first correct answer came from Matt Friedrichson of Clark Seif Clark. Uh, he's been very active and it's been our trivia champion so far the, uh, this year. However, a more complete answer came in from Dan Reed from Intuitive Environmental Solutions. And we just felt that there were two winners. Please, uh, winners, send us your addresses so that we can send to you your gift. Okay, the microband trivia question for Friday, August 8th, 2008, was actually submitted by our guest. The question is, if you have an insurance policy that is on a claims-made form basis and your insurance agent wants to move it to an occurrence form basis, what coverage would you need to add to your policy to prevent losing coverage for your previous covered work? Back to you, Joe. All right, let's see if the uh, trivia gurus can pick that one up. Uh, today's guest is Brian McFarland, Legends Environmental Insurance Services, LLC. Brian is Vice President of Program Development for Legends Environmental Insurance Services, Prior to joining Legends, he served as the Director of Business Development, Marketing, and IAQ Department Director for Environmental Support Solutions. His current primary responsibilities at Legends is management of their insurance programs for environmental safety and health associations. Legends has a list of associations and others with programs designed to help their members qualify and get discounts on insurance for the environmental consulting and contracting industry. Brian has a BS in sociology, pre-law, a BS in environmental sciences, and a master's degree in education administration, all from Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. I believe we have some intro music for Brian. Welcome, Brian. Do we have you on the line? Hello, Hello Joe. Hello, Cliff. All right. There Good you morning. are. Good morning. Hey, how are you guys today? It's a pleasure to be on the line with you. Oh, great to have you. I know it's morning out there, and we appreciate you. Uh, where, where are you located, anyway, in Le at Legends? Uh, we, we have three offices around the country, uh, California, uh, one in Chicago, and uh, I run the office here in Phoenix, Arizona. Great. And... Legends is um, specializing in environmental insurance services. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that is different from the standard uh, liability policy a uh, you know general contractor of uh, some types would hold? Sure, sure. Uh, a little bit about Legends. We've been in business uh, for roughly 30 years, and for the last 25 years have really focused on environmental contractors and consultants and other environmental coverages for that matter, uh, and focusing on their exposures called environmental exposures. The, the main difference between that and a standard uh, general liability policy or liability policy that another type of company may, may carry would be the inclusion of uh, pollution coverage. Uh, since 1980 uh, or thereabouts, there's been a, a total pollution exclusion on all liability policies. Uh, and that, of course, have, has brought about uh, 
pollution coverage, uh, and certainly that's uh, where Legend specializes in and, and has so for the last 25 years. We were talking a, a little before the show, and I was a little surprised when you, you mentioned that, um, you know, some people come and they already have their general liability insurance, and then um, they may come to you for additional insurance for their environmental issues. But uh, you had also mentioned that even sometimes those folks that have a general liability policy, it may not really cover the type of contracting they do. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Joe. Uh, uh, there's, uh, we, we have a lot of insurers that come to us, or a lot of clients that come to us, uh, that are looking for just pollution or contractors pollution or professional liability coverage where they carry a general liability policy maybe through a main street or a market street carrier such as a state farm or somebody similar to that and, and they're looking for the ancillary coverages to go on top of that uh, and, and certainly we can provide that in, in certain situations um, the issue that you have with with that type of coverage is oftentimes those policies uh, that are issued by those main street carriers are known as BOP policies, otherwise known as business owner policies. Uh, those would be policies that might also include the inland marine coverage for equipment, uh, property coverage for the building if they own one, or renter's coverage, uh, and several other ancillary coverages. However, the general liability form uh, often is a, a coverage form that doesn't actually include coverage for the work that they provide at their their site so it, it's only providing general liability coverage for their place of business but not extending it to their client site so when they're out on a job their general liability coverage is actually not covering them on the job only when they're back in their own offices uh, we see that quite a bit and for that reason what we try to place is general liability inclusive of contractors pollution liability and or errors and emissions as a package uh, that also simplifies the process in the event of a claim. Uh, you don't have multiple carriers uh, looking at the same claim, kind of pushing the blame one way or the other. Uh, you don't have to pay multiple deductibles if both coverages uh, end up needing to be in place or needing to be used. And it also will ultimately decrease the claim value, which uh, you know helps to maintain your insurability. Cliff? Um what sorts of perils would be covered by a remediators and consultant policy that you would market which would be excluded from standard in insurance policies? Sure. Uh, standard would be any pollution claim. Uh, as I previously mentioned earlier, uh, there's a total pollution exclusion on all policies. That includes uh, auto policies, general liability policies, uh, et cetera. And so any pollution claim, uh, we would then add back in through professional liability or contractor's pollution liability. Um, it could also include subsidence, uh, working with uh, HOAs uh, or uh, homeowners uh, associations, which are typically excluded uh, from general liability, uh, working on residential construction, uh, transportation of hazardous waste, uh, underground storage tanks, uh, pretty much any type of environmental work, uh, uh, whether that's on the consulting side or on the contracting side, uh, would be perils that we would cover that would not typically be covered. Okay, thanks. Now, are those covered individually? I mean, let's say I do asbestos and I do water damage restoration. Do I need 
coverage? Are you selling one package that covers all of these different environment, you know, pollution as you call them, exclusions? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, there, there's going to be, in, in some instances, the answer is yes. It's there's going to be one coverage form that's going to cover all of the exposures. Uh, each one of those in, individual. Uh, types of work or activities, contracting or consulting activities, we would refer to in the insurance world as an exposure. Uh, and in some instances, a policy may cover all the exposures, and then in some instances, there may be individual coverages for each exposure. An example would be, uh, let, let's say a contractor does mold remediation but also does asbestos abatement and lead abatement. Uh, there is going to be a contractor, a general liability policy in place, a contractor's pollution liability policy in place, and also a mold coverage uh, liability policy in place, probably called a microbial decontamination coverage. Uh, the all, all of those, all of that work and and associated general liability coverages, their potential claims will be covered under the same GL form. On the on the CPL, the contractor's pollution liability side, there's going to be a mold uh, exclusion on that, but we're going to pick up the exposure of the asbestos and lead. That mold exclusion is then covered or picked back up via the mold coverage that's added to the policy. So it really depends on the types of uh, uh, exact exposures that are being covered. Uh, by the or being performed and, and how they're going to be covered and different policies from different carriers are going to react to that different some carriers actually have an asbestos specific uh, coverage that would be added to the policy much like mold uh, it, it's it gets pretty technical and uh, for that for that reason it's it's pretty wise to work with an agent that's uh, well-versed in, in this uh, industry, for sure. You know, that leads me into another question. Why aren't these insurance policies written so that people can understand them? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair question, Clint. Um, certainly, the, the language in there is typically produced uh, uh, by lawyers, and, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of good lawyers and, and maybe, you know, not so good lawyers out there. But, uh, you know, that... that 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 is uh, uh, something that we specialize in here at Legends, and, and so do other agents around the country. But that that is the main reason that uh, you know that uh, it, you should be working with a qualified agent who understands uh, your industry, so that they can explain the coverages to you. Uh, can't come up with a good reason of why they're not uh, written a little bit simpler, but. Uh, uh, you know, it's certainly important to, to work with someone who knows what it says. You know, as a follow-up question, can a policyholder reasonably rely on their insurance agent's recommendations? I mean, if I don't understand the policy and I tell them what I do as my business, um, can I then, you know, re just rely on him getting me the, the right stuff? Uh, well, you, you certainly should. Uh, you know, as an insurance agent and all insurance agents, we carry what's called E&O insurance. Uh, and certainly uh, we don't want to claim on our E&O insurance for not providing the coverage that, you know, or not suggesting that you provide the coverage that you want. Um, you know, there are lots of companies out there or, or agents out there who uh, I would say 90% of the agents out there, uh, you know, aren't familiar with environmental uh, consultants and contractors. 
and maybe their work shouldn't be relied on because they don't have direct access to the carriers that are going to write your policy. Uh, most agents out there would go through a wholesaler like Legends uh, or, or one of our competitors to reach the carriers that would write the environmental insurance for you or write the package for you or, or for the client. Uh, but they actually never speak with the underwriter. They typically never see the policy uh, before it's sold to you. They don't know what it says, uh, and certainly they uh, you know, can risk represent what, it, what they believe it to say because they don't have direct connection to the carrier. Uh, and it's, it's a real good idea for, for companies to work with a, uh, a company like Legends that does work direct for the carriers or with the carriers uh, because we have read the policies, we we do get notified uh, when the carriers change their policy, which is often, you know, usually several times a year, at least once a year. Is that, you know, most carriers have to refile their forms or, or do refile their forms once a year. Uh, so, so having that direct access, uh, you know, an agency having that direct access to the carrier uh, allows us to be in the know, and uh, certainly makes us more reliable than uh, an agency that doesn't. Before we go into some more specifics about what's covered, what's not, et cetera, and give, you can give us some examples of uh, real-life situations, one more definition I'd like to get out. What is the difference between the terms claims made and occurrence? <laughs> that's, that's a good question, Joe. Uh, there seems to be uh, a bit of confusion out there between these terms. Uh, I, I'm going to try to pull it out of insurance terms and, and give a, uh, a, a layman, I guess, or a simplified explanation, but if it doesn't uh, provide the explanation you look for, you just let me know. Um, I, on a claims-made form, uh, that would be a type of policy form, and so would a occurrence. A claims-made form, the carrier is uh, responsible for a claim only during the period for which they insure you while they insure you. On an occurrence form, the carrier that covers you for that time period uh, uh, or the policy period is always responsible for a claim that arises out of that policy period. So let me give you an example. If you're on a claims-made policy, which all you know insurance is only available on a claims-made policy, so let's say you're a consultant uh, and that you have a claims-made E&O policy, and you move from one carrier to another. So you've been in business for five years, and you've been insured for those five years, and you move from that carrier over to another carrier. Uh, your insurance agent says this carrier has a better deal, and he moves you over. Uh, that old carrier that you just moved from is no longer responsible for any claims that have, that would have uh, uh, or does do arise from your previous insured period. Uh, and for the for this reason, you have something on a claims-made policy called a retroactive date, and that's the date that the previous carrier was covering back to, as long as there weren't any gaps in insurance. Your new carrier should be picking up that retroactive date uh, on that claims-made basis, and then as long as they input that retroactive date into your policy, they then will become responsible for any claims that, arose, that may arise during that period for which the previous uh, carrier insured you. Um, now, let's say you're making that move and the, and the agent wants to take you from that claims-made form over to an occurrence form where the carrier is you know, going to be responsible for uh, your work during that insured period forever. Uh, it, it would be real important at that point 
to make sure that you put in tail coverage uh, with that occurrence form so that that picks up uh, your, your previous insured period. That tail coverage basically takes that retroactive date and moves it to an occurrence coverage form and says that then they're, they're then responsible for, for that period of time for, for ongoing purposes okay. up to 10 years. Very, very well. Very well done. Now, let me ask you, you mentioned E&O a couple times. I want to make sure we're on the same page. That's errors and omissions insurance? Uh, errors and omissions insurance, the uh, legal term, I guess, or the insurance term that we use more often than E&O is professional liability insurance. Okay. Uh, now, there's. I want to ask another quick one because I get this. There's a test question that I have to teach people about. Is that... Would it be safe to say that covers mistakes that people make during their consulting? <laughs> it, it, it would be safe to say that, uh, that that it certainly covers errors uh, or or omissions, right? Uh, not actually uh, or being negligent to to perform some services or, or errors uh, made during the performance of those services. So it would cover a mistake or an omission of something, you miss something, but it would not cover negligence. Is that correct? Um, well, that, that's not absolutely correct. Okay. I mean, negligence, uh, uh, you know, ne negligence is a type of tort, and uh, uh, certainly in situations, uh, you know, gross negligence may not be covered, but, uh, uh, you know, negligence meaning uh, an omission, uh, not performing a... Uh, or taking a sample when you should have, or something like that, and uh, or being negligent in, in chain of custody, or something like that. Uh, certainly, the policy has the potential to provide coverage for that. Okay, so that's a little more gray in that respect. Okay, Cliff. You know, insurance companies are not in business to lose money, and you've mentioned some of the perils that are covered. What I'm looking for are the loopholes that aren't covered. And are there any things that could commonly occur that aren't covered that you can think of? That's a good question. I mean, there's certainly lots of things that could occur but that, that wouldn't be covered. Um, you know, we as a company haven't had any insurance claims that haven't been covered. Perfect. Uh, um, what I would say is most of the times when a claim isn't covered, it would be because the insurance agent didn't understand the exposures of their client and failed to provide adequate coverage. Okay. All right. Now let's go into uh, what types of uh, claims have been filed on your mold remediators or environmental consultant policies and, you know, how, they have, uh, how they've worked out. Sure. Uh, you know, at, Leg at Legends, we insure roughly about 1,200 clients uh, throughout the country and insure them directly. Uh, so certainly we're going to have claims that occur. Uh, you know, we, we focus on the best of the best, uh, we feel. Uh, certainly we have a program for mold consultants and, and, consul and contractors or IEQ contractors and consultants or those that specialize in that. Uh, through the IEQA uh, as well as the IEQ Council, and uh, you know we have very few claims in, in out of that uh, I guess association uh, program, but we certainly have had a few. Uh, those that uh, a couple of examples, and, and these would be two that would be very similar that happened uh, almost within a week of each other. 
had a motor remediation contractor doing uh, motor remediation in the bathroom of the 13th floor of a high-rise building. Uh, as they, they were drying the structure down, uh, they were drying it, going to dry it overnight, and they tape, they forgot to tape the mirror to the wall or to take the mirror off of the wall. Uh, and, of course, the humidity got down or the moisture content of the room got down to the point where it actually dried the double-sided tape of the mirror. Uh, that mirror then fell off and broke the water line uh, on the toilet, the supply water line to the toilet, which uh, also hadn't been uh, shut off. Uh, for a day and a half, uh, water uh, ran from the 13th floor uh, all the way down to the basement before it was found. Uh, that was uh, certainly a, a claim that was filed against the insurance carrier. Uh, ended up being a relatively large claim, uh, but was handled uh, and covered by both the insurance carrier and the uh, the insured did a great job of responding. Uh, that turned out to be a general liability claim uh, covered under the operations section of the general liability. So what the insurance carrier paid for was the cleanup of the water, uh, the replacement uh, of of any building materials that needed to be replaced and the re replacement of any uh, personal effects of any of the uh, residents of that structure that needed to be replaced as well. Uh, immediately after that, within a week, I had a very similar claim where a mirror fell off the wall and broke a toilet supply line, uh, but was fixed immediately. Uh, when they put the, the water line back on, however, uh, they over-tightened it, and uh, this was luckily not in a high-rise. Uh, in a single-family home, they over-tightened the, the water supply line and kind of cracked the, the line there uh, that, over a period of months, turned into uh, uh, some mold growth inside of the wall cavity. Uh, that claim turned in uh, that turned into an insurance claim, uh, not as large of an insurance claim, but if the contractor did not have uh, contractor's pollution liability with mold coverage, it wouldn't have been covered. Uh, it was a covered claim because there was mold growth. Uh, the insurance carrier paid uh, for the remediation of the mold uh, as well as uh, uh, the cleanup of the site and the replacement uh, of all the associated material. Very good. Excellent. Let's, um, let's take a minute here. We'd like to bring our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, in to see if he has any questions or comments up to this point. Well, I'm unmuted so I can talk and somebody is hearing me. All there right. you are, Dieter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, uh, you know, uh, I, I obviously, and I, I have a good question afterwards. Um, uh, you know, I obviously, I pay my uh, house insurance, my car insurance, and my liability insurance, my boat insurance, and my motorcycle insurance, and all of that. <laughs> and, of course, I never, ever, ever, ever read any one of those things that I'm paying for. Because I don't have time for it. If I, even if I were to read it, I wouldn't understand it anyway. I also own an automobile that has a 100,000-mile bumper-to-bumper warranty. The unfortunate thing is, and it's probably in fine print, I never read that, anything that breaks is not covered. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, it's a moving part. I mean, the ashtray, which I don't use, is a moving part. The door is a moving part. The seat is a moving part. There, there's just about nothing on a car that is not a moving part. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the hood in the back and the hood in the front and all the four doors and the windows, all of those are moving parts and they are not covered. 
Anyway, I have a, 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 I'm a consultant. I'm incorporated, fully incorporated. Uh, don't ask me how, what, when, and where, but it says Dietrich Weil Incorporated. Uh, I do environmental stuff. I do take air samples for asbestos and for uh, lead and for chemicals and for mold and uh, all of those good things. Um, and I'm incorporated, and I was incorporated because some friend of mine who is a lawyer told me that you better get incorporated to lower your liability. Should I carry in addition to what I own, my my my, my company, my uh, corporation owns, you know, a, a telephone and a computer, and that's about it. Uh, should I, do I need, do I want to have extra coverage for the work that I am doing? And, of course, there is a little question afterwards, how much do I have to pay for it? Sure. Uh, you should certainly be carrying errors and emissions coverage. Okay. Uh, just because you're incorporated does not mean that uh, uh, the law protects you as an individual. Okay. Uh, there, there's certainly a, a misnotion or misunderstanding about that. If you used any of your personal funds uh, to incorporate your business... Uh, I guess I had to pay for that when I incorporated, right? 20 exactly, years ago. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a direct tie between you and your corporation. I see. Uh, there's only two states that have laws uh, that kind of protect you from that, and that would be Nevada and Delaware. Uh, but e even in those states, uh, you could still be held liable for, the, for your corporation as the owner. Um, so errors and emissions insurance, uh, you should be covering. We have a minimum premium program that starts as low as $2,500 that would include general liability and errors and emissions insurance, and that would be a million dollars of coverage. So that would be, what, 2500 a year? That is correct. Uh, for uh, about a million bucks or something like that? That would be a million dollars of coverage on both the aggregate uh, and the occurrence basis. Okay. Uh, so any a million dollars for any one claim or a million dollars for a total of any number of claims. I see. Um, our, our, that, that would be the minimum premium. Our, our programs are designed to be receipts-based. That means they're based on a percentage of your gross revenues. Okay. So the actual premium is based on a percentage of your gross revenues. I may give you a call after the show. <laughs> okay. And I can tell you how that percentage is figured out. That percentage is figured out, otherwise known as a rate. Okay. That rate, that rate is figured out by a couple of things. That would be the exact services that you perform, how qualified you are to perform those services, uh, if there have been any previous uh, claims or losses filed against you uh, okay. on an insurance policy, all of those things are going to affect your rate as well as where you are in the country. Yep. Uh, certainly some geographical locations are, are more apt to have claims than others. Uh, so all those can affect the rate slightly, but uh, uh, you know, we, we can certainly, you know, typically accounts that are, are small companies under $100,000 uh, in revenue a year, are going to be pretty close, if not right there at the minimum or at the minimum yeah, premium. Understood, and that makes a lot of sense to me in 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 wonderful English uh, language. No problem at all. And I know that life insurance for an old guy like me costs a hell of a lot more than life insurance for an 18-year-old. <laughs> no question. No question about that. Now on that, and I, you know, this is one of those things. I have used the words claims made and occurrence uh, in insurance. If I had occurrence insurance in 1968 and something went wrong today, am I still covered? No. If, if, you, if something 
there's going to be a, a limitation to how long that occurs. Oh, okay, then okay, place, make it but, ten years ago. Okay, so let's say you had something. Let's say you had coverage in uh, 1997. Okay. Uh, on an occurrence form. Okay. And somebody filed a, a claim on you today for something that occurred in 1997. Okay. Uh, you you would have coverage from that carrier that provided provided you insurance then. I think that is exactly the answer I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, one good. way or another. So on the occurrence, therefore, occurrence costs more than claims made. Uh, it doesn't always cost more. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit more expensive. Errors yep. and emissions or professional liability insurance is not available on an occurrence form. I see. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but contractors' pollution liability, uh, general liability, they are available on an occurrence form. And, and typically, we're going to place it on an occurrence form uh, uh, unless at the request of the insured for some reason that they would sure. prefer it not be or they're typically covered on a claims made. Mold insurance or, or mold coverage is also only available on a claims-made form. Uh, let me make one exception to that. There is now one carrier uh, that is willing to write uh, coverage for uh, or mold coverage for a mold remediation contractor uh, on an occurrence form, and, and we work directly with them. I see. Very good. Now then, I tell you one thing. I mean, I, I, I think we, 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 we ought to bring you back once every six months. <laughs> to tell the people uh, what the heck they paid for and what they signed for, what they have and what they don't have. Very good. Yeah, I and I mean, that. you know, I mean, I'm an educated person. I I am somewhat intelligent. Uh, that's what my advisors told me when they bestowed a doctorate on me. But uh, you know, on the other hand, I'm lazy like everybody else. What else is new? And yeah, we don't read those things. And even if I were to read it, they still don't make sense to me. That's the problem. You know? sure. Sure. And, and that, that definitely is the, you know, the, the case with a lot of our clients as well. You know, I have a, uh, quite a few clients who will start to read the policy and, and, and get to an exclusion in the policy and then not read further to see that that exclusion has been removed through other coverage. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's where you really need the technical expertise of your agent to, to be able to give you that information. That, that's right. And uh, I, I guess, uh, how should I put that? I guess they're good and bad agents. Right? There's good and bad well, everything, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's certainly lots of good agents in the country. Oh, oh, oh I, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you, please. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. No, 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 I didn't think you were making fun of me. No. It, it just, uh, you know, it's, it's an industry that has a little bit of a, a bad rap, but... Uh, yeah. You know, there's, there's so do lawyers, so do country. doctors, so do environmental consultants. <laughs> there you go. Hey, well, guys, let me uh, let's break this up for a minute. I want to go to the IE Connections. What's news halftime, and then we're going to bring you back, Brian and Dieter. will bring you back for the roundup. Sure. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Mr. Fellman, I hear you have a big announcement today. How are you? We're great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Great show. Thank Good you. Good to hear you and Brian and Dieter and Cliff. 
Uh, and I do have some big news today. It's actually news that crossed my desk yesterday afternoon. Um, we'll go back in time a little bit. Last week, on July 31st, the president of the Indo Air Quality Association, Andrew Osk, sent a letter to uh, the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC, to let them know that uh, the comments submitted by IAQA uh, several months ago, actually, I guess about two years ago, on their draft mold remediation standard were resolved. IAQA had some concerns about the use of certain terms, and uh, those concerns had been resolved as a result of changes to the standards and other works. And that was the final hurdle that uh, IICRC had to clear before they could get their standard approved by ANSI. So on August 1st, IICRC uh, corresponded to ANSI to let them know that all the comments have been resolved. And just yesterday, ANSI has approved IICRC's S520 as an American national standard. Uh, official notice will appear in ANSI's standard action newsletter on August 15th, and IICRC is expected to print and publish the standard in late August or maybe early September. So that's big news. We have a ANSI-approved mold remediation standard for the first time ever. Excellent. And uh, you'll be reading it in about a month. Looks like the process works, huh? Yep. I believe so. It took a long time, but uh, you want to create a true consensus standard and, and get buy-in from a lot of groups. That's how it has to happen. So it's good, good news, and congratulations to IICRC for, for getting that, that accomplished. i got a couple little news items I want to throw your way as well, Joe. Um, two of them relating to upcoming conferences. Uh, there's a uh, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, is holding Building a Framework for Healthy Housing. It's a conference taking place in Baltimore, Maryland, September 15th through the 17th. And it's free. Not too many conferences are free these days, but this one is free. It's got a really good speaker lineup. It's going to cover a lot of issues related to public housing, obviously, but also housing in general. There's another event going on in September, which is called the Green Summit. It's in Phoenix, Arizona from September 5th to the 6th. It's sponsored by ASHRAE, USGBC, IAQA, and about another couple dozen um, nonprofit and municipal uh, entities. And it's a really good event. People who are uh, in that area or looking to go to that area should take a look on it. So those are uh, my top items. i got a couple more if you want them. Otherwise, if you want to go back to the show, we can do that too. Well, let's, let's go back to the show. We're having a great time here. We don't want to hold. I know Brian's got to run after the show, and we, we're already going to probably hold him an extra minute or two here. But uh, thank you, Glenn. Those were excellent. Actually, you read our minds. We were really glad to hear you brought up that Green Summit thing as well. Well, good. Well, I've got, I'll save these other items for next week. Can we bring you in for the uh, roundup? And we'd love to have you back next week too. Yeah, definitely, and I, I have some, some things I want to talk about in the roundup. Actually, maybe before the roundup, I just want to note something. Um, people look at, uh, a lot of times, insurance programs uh, that are offered through associations, and I've been working with associations my whole life, and I've, I've typically known them to be programs that are not all that successful. You get a, a tiny percentage of an association's membership to participate, and it's usually because the insurance program doesn't have that much to offer. Um, with the folks you're talking to today with Legends Environmental, they've been able to capture as high as 10 or 15% of the membership of a single organization, the Indoor Air Quality Association, their membership in their program, just because they have a superior product and a unique product. So 
they really ha- are onto something. Um, I think pretty pretty interesting, and, and I hope Brian can talk to that in the second part of the show. Great. Thanks for joining us again, Glenn. Sure. <clears throat> Listeners, it's my sad responsibility to report that the industry has lost one of its more interesting and entertaining characters, Philip J. McLaughlin, Certified Restorer Number 45. Our deepest sympathies go out to his son and family. Phil was a marketing and business development consultant to the cleaning and restoration industry after having a successful career in the business. He also was the author, along with Stephen Lavelle, of the best-selling book, Insider Secrets for a Successful Restoration Business. Uh, Joe and I had the opportunity to interview him and uh, Stephen on our show. Uh, We're glad we had the opportunity to interview him uh, prior to his passing. Phil, you'll be missed. Thank you, you, Joe. I have to second your thoughts on that. All right, let's go back to Brian McFarlane with Legends Environmental. And Cliff, looks like you've got a question. I do. Brian, in the event of an environmental claim, who's going to adjust it? Typically, the insurance carrier uh, will either have in-house adjusters or they will have independent adjusters, uh, uh, which are often uh, companies that uh, may be national, uh, that will come out and adjust the claim. Do these people have experience adjusting environmental claims? Uh, For the carriers that specialize in environmental related exposures, uh, the answer would be yes, or should be yes. Uh, Certainly for those carriers that that don't specialize in this arena, the answer would be no. Uh, That brings up another reason why it would be important to, you know, make sure your general liability carrier and your contractor's pollution liability carrier may be one and the same. Uh, or your, you know, your, your environmental exposures are being covered by the same general liability carrier. Uh, as you know, if it's uh, if it looks like a general liability car- claim, and you, you know the the carrier is not a specialist in in environmental uh, related exposures, you know they're, they're likely to send out an adjuster that uh, isn't at all familiar with uh, uh, environmental claims or, or environmental exposures, for that matter. Brian, uh, men- Glenn had mentioned that you know the IAQA, <clears throat> excuse me, that you were doing a lot of work with the IAQA, and this question sort of uh, ties into that. Some of the people that are members of the association have a brand new company or they're a new consultant. They don't have any business history. Uh, Can they obtain remediation or uh, consultant's insurance? Uh, I I, I assume you're asking, Joe, can a new company or a new startup company uh, obtain adequate insurance to cover their exposures? Yes. Okay. The, the the answer to that is yes, uh, but what it's going to depend on is, uh, you know, what are the qualifications of those individuals starting the company? Uh, you know, are they certified? Do they have, uh, you know, some industry experience that can be verified? Uh, and, you know, are, are they members of the IEQA uh, for continuing education? Those are the types of things that are going to make somebody qualified for insurance. Uh, as a new company. Uh, newer companies uh, from the ins- insurers or from the carrier's perspective, 
uh, tend to have higher uh, uh, high, or higher risk of having a claim. Uh, so the newer companies tend to pay a little bit more for their insurance because of that, uh, because the you know the carrier views them as a higher risk. But over time, those rates typically come down. Is sampling, testing, or preparation of remedial protocol or other professional advice excluded under errors and omissions? <laughs> um, it, it shouldn't be. Okay. Uh, all of our policies uh, uh, contain a list of covered activities. Those activities come directly from uh, the application of the insured. Uh, during the, you know, when, it, when a company is filling out an application, it should be the responsibility of the agent to understand those services to make sure that the application is filled out completely and correctly. Uh, you know, if, if there are services that are missing, uh, you know, the agent should be asking uh, to, to make sure they should be familiar with the types of services that they're performing. Um, and uh, so, so, no, it shouldn't be excluded. There are a couple of policies out there, uh, one that's uh, being withdrawn, but uh, uh, that that actually do exclude uh, writing protocols uh, or, or even providing analysis uh, uh, or a report back to to the client. Uh, all they're covering is actually sampling and sending it to a laboratory. Uh, Legends doesn't provide those policies. Uh, but let me give you an example of what an agent should look for. Um, I work with a lot of consultants, uh, specifically indoor air quality consultants. And oftentimes I'll get an application in that says, uh, you know, all they do is indoor air quality work. But I'll call them back and say, okay, do you do any mold work? And they'll say yes. And I'll say, okay, well, we need to put revenue in, in this section of the application. And then I'll say, well, do you do, you know, are you writing scopes of work or are you just doing screenings? And I'll say, well, I do scopes of work and post-clearance testing. So then we have to break up that mold that mold assessment work into consulting on microbial decontamination project and microbial assessments. Uh, if we didn't do that, you run the risk of not having coverage for those exposures. Although it's not likely, you, do run, you would run the risk of that. And that, and that, that again, you know, goes back to the, the points that I've made over and over here, which is having, having an agent that understands what your exposures are and what your company does. Brian, does mold coverage also cover bacterial contamination? Uh, yes, and, yes, and no. Depending on the uh, insurance carrier, uh, there are some carriers that specifically exclude bacteria and then pick it up. Uh, there are some carriers in the definition of uh, microbial growth uh, or, or fungus uh, do not list bacteria, and therefore it would be covered under the contractor's pollution liability, uh, as it wouldn't be excluded under the fungus exclusion. And then there's other carriers that are, uh, cover it specifically uh, within their uh, fungal or, or mold endorsement. Um, so it, it really depends on the carrier uh, to, to how that's covered or how it's excluded. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, I, I don't want to keep harping on that point, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it should be up to the insurance agent to make sure that they're, they're pricing the uh, the adequate coverage for the insured if they're you know doing that type of uh, work. Uh, would your typical policy cover the use of antimicrobial products and coatings uh, by remediators in the event that an occupant might claim 
health damage from multi-chemical sensitivity or something like that? Uh, it, it could uh, it could respond to that type of exposure, uh, but it would be real important that the policy contained products liability insurance okay. uh, and that the insured made the carrier, the agent, and then the carrier aware that they were using an antimicrobial, what product it was, uh, how it was being applied, and when it was being applied. Uh, and then through the placement or the, or the addition of products liability insurance, uh, that, that could be or, or would be a covered exposure. Why wouldn't it be covered under the pollution? Uh, because it would actually be the product that was causing that exposure. Yeah, but if the product's not listed as a pollutant, and if the product's an EPA-registered product that you don't need a license to buy, you can buy it off the shelf. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I, th I think sometimes it's hard. It, 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 product liability would be part of that contractor's pollution liability policy. Okay. I see. So, there, so, Cliff, there are some policies out there that would exclude it, and and certainly good policies out there that wouldn't exclude it. I guess so that's what. It would, yeah, it, it would be part of the contractor's pollution liability policy, that product exposure. Is there some it sort of... I'm sorry. Good. Is there... It would not be a separate coverage. Is there some sort of checklist where the buyer could compare you know, these different policies and, you know, what's covered and, and what isn't? Because it seems like there's some big differences between some of the carriers and, and some of the various policies. Does something like that exist? You know, it, it exists, but it usually exists as a proprietary information of the agency. Okay. Uh, so uh, each agent typically will, or each agency will create a list of, uh, uh, of policies, endorsements, and coverages that are in, uh, and provide those to their clients as they're comparing policies. Uh, that's certainly something we do at Legends as we, you know, provide multiple quotes to our clients. Uh, we, we would provide a, a, a list uh, or that list uh, that we have pre-prepared or a list that's custom to that client uh, that describes the differences of the policies. Uh, and make sure that that's going over with, with the client, uh, you know, prior to buying the coverage. Do you write your policy with more than one company? We do. Okay. We do. We actually uh, access six carriers uh, or six carriers that will specialize or, or write environmental uh, coverage uh, direct. So, so we do write uh, uh, with several carriers. Uh, we do have a, uh, a couple of preferred carriers that, uh, you know, support our association programs. Mm -hmm. And certainly those carriers, uh, uh, you know, they, they've worked hard to make sure they have a product in place for those associations that meet their needs. And, you know, in, in those types of cases, like the uh, IEQA and the IEQ Council, uh, we certainly have a preferred carrier for that program. And in that case, that would be American Safety Insurance. Okay. Let me ask... Um do you have similar association programs with, like, the Restoration Industry Association or some of the other disaster restoration associations? No, we don't have endorsed uh, uh, association programs from the restoration industry, but what we have done is gone to those associations, uh, learned about what they do, uh, gotten the information or received the information uh, about their training tracks, uh, their certification tracks, uh, and, and propose those two insurance carriers to put preferred rates uh, together for them, although that doesn't uh, 
uh, mean we have the endorsement of the association. We do uh, do a lot of uh, work for uh, restoration contractors. Uh, we have quite a few insured uh, with multiple programs available to them. Uh, and uh, those programs uh, include some discounts uh, specifically for the RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, uh, based on membership into that or certification through that association. Ryan, let me, uh, Dr. Wow asked what the baseline policy for a consultant would be. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't ask what the baseline policy for a, uh, let's say, a disaster restoration company or maybe a mold remediation company would be. Uh, mold remediation company, uh, we would be looking uh, at general liability, contractors, pollution liability, and mold coverage. Uh, minimum policy premium uh, for a million-dollar policy would be uh, $2,500. Uh, again, it would be revenues uh, or, and risk-based, so it would go up from there. So it would go uh, up based on their revenue, how much income, you know, how much revenue they bring in and so on. That seems pretty inexpensive. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, one of the lower priced products on the market. Uh, I, I would say three years ago, you know, when, uh, or, or five or six years ago, where, where, you know, minimum premiums were probably three to four times as high as that. And certainly minimum premiums have come down quite a bit, uh, over the last three years. Uh, I, I give legends credit for, for some of that, uh, as far as, uh, mold and consultants and contractors are concerned is, you know, the IEQ program uh, or the IQA uh, program uh, really did change the market uh, as we provided uh, uh, coverage that wasn't out there uh, or available in the marketplace at a, at, at a price point that was well below what was the in, inferior products. So the insurance uh, market has responded, but uh, I still feel we have the, the best product at the, the best price. Well, this has been fascinating so far. What I'd like to do at this point, Brian, is go to the roundup. I know Glenn has a question, and I'm sure Dieter will have one, and then Cliff and I will also have a final question for you. So let's go to the roundup. Let's start with uh, Glenn Fellman. Glenn, I, I'm certain you have a question or two here. I have two questions. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll, I'll ask. Uh, the first question is one you you already brought up, which is uh, what can somebody who is new to the indoor air quality field do when they're applying for insurance to be able to obtain it? I talk to a lot of people who maybe they were a home inspector or some kind of other type of, uh, of, a, of an assessment professional. They got some, some more training and experience. They're moving into indoor quality and they're having trouble finding someone willing to insure them because they're new. So that's um, question number one. And uh, I'll go ahead and let Brian take that one before I throw number two at him. Well, I think the, the appropriate response to that uh, is, is certainly to make sure that they have industry training and, uh, of course, certification. Uh, the most widely accepted certifications out there would be through the IEQ Council uh, or the American IEQ Council, uh, and to start on their certification track and 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 to do that by coming 
becoming a member through the IEQA and going through the training programs that, that you guys helped to facilitate there, uh, that, that would certainly, uh, you know, prepare them to be insured. Uh, there are some bad policies out there, what I would consider bad policies. There, there are some policies out there that would provide coverage for a home inspector uh, performing mold services, uh, wherein the client believes that they have coverage, but the policy actually says that they don't. Um, so the the uh, interpretation from the client or the homeowner or, or who is having work performed for them would be that they have mold coverage uh, because they can produce a certificate that says so, but in actuality they, they wouldn't have the, the coverage. Um, the, the other thing that they would expect or a new client might expect or a, a person new in the industry would probably to pay a little bit higher premium and also to have a higher deductible associated with uh, with their first few years in business. Thank you. That is a great, uh, very complete answer. My, my second question comes back to something Dieter was saying. Dieter was talking uh, earlier in the show about his own situation as an independent practitioner who, who has an incorporated entity that he works under but doesn't have all the different types of insurance that you've discussed. Uh, first, I should put it a caveat. I have started my class action suit. I've collected all of Dieter's former clients. We're going to be going after Dieter. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, besides that, no, my real question is, more and more over the last 10 years, you've seen people set up limited liability corporations, LLCs. Sure. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I have a business that's an LLC. And I, I did that because my lawyers and my accountants advised me that, you know, if your company gets sued, your company gets in trouble, they can take away everything the LLC has, but they can't go after you personally. Is there an advantage to people who are working in as indoor environmental quality, especially assessment people, um, or, or remediation people, is there an advantage to them being an LLC as opposed to being an S corporation or a C corporation or some other type of a corporation? Um, I'm certainly not a lawyer, so I, I wouldn't want to give any advice that uh, uh, would be considered legal there. But uh, does it affect uh, the insurance from the insurance side? Do insurance companies look differently at LLCs than they do at other types of corporate entities? No, no, the same rates are going to be provided. Uh, so the same rates are going to be provided. But I also think you should check with that uh, that lawyer that gave you that advice because there's only two states that you could be incorporated in as, as an LLC that I'm aware of uh, where your personal assets wouldn't be at risk, and that would be Nevada and Delaware. Uh, so I don't know if, if that's where you're incorporated at, but... Uh, uh, let's just let's just say I have a registered agent in Wilmington. So okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my advice would be if anyone is considering that to incorporate in one of those two states. Excellent. All right, let's go over to uh, Dr. Dater. Any questions or comments? Well, I have a comment, and I think Cliff made the uh, the, the comment that I was going to ask, and I think it's probably one of the best questions of the day. I need insurance. Where can I go to compare rates and see of what I have to pay for and what I get? I think that is probably the best question uh, sure. you could ask uh, uh, in, 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 in this um, uh, meeting here today. Sure, and I think, I think the thing that uh, or the answer to that would be to make sure that you ask your insurance agent for multiple quotes. 
Okay. Uh, and that would certainly be, you know, be available through Legends to our, to provide multiple quotes to you. Uh, but to it, to have the agent discuss which carriers are going to provide the best coverage for you, uh, and which carriers, you know, would not even indicate or, or give a quote to you. So, so that that would be something you would want to discuss with your agent, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, Legends is your agent, and we're we're able to do that for you. Um, what I would say is that. Uh, uh, you know, not all carriers are going to be interested in all risk uh, or, or all companies. Uh, so AIG or Zorik or some of those carriers, they may not be interested in a small consulting company that's doing 150 or $200,000 a year uh, or even $500,000 a year. Uh, but I don't carrier, make $500,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> but, but other carriers would be. So other carriers, uh, you know, are, are going to be very interested. And, you know, make sure that your agent is, is shopping your insurance and explaining the difference between the carriers. And, you know, most agents uh, or and all agents from Legends are, are going to be able to give you that information right up front. Uh, what are the differences between the carriers? Who's going to be interested in your insurance? And what are the difference in the forms, and, and you know how, how do we you know provide coverage or, or quotes for you? Uh, most agents would not want to what we would say burn a market, uh, meaning you know send out an application to an insurance carrier knowing that they don't have a chance to write it uh, or, 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 to, or to get the business uh, because they they would get tired of that after some time, uh, as you could probably understand. So. Most agents are going to have that discussion with you up front and then usually proceed with uh, one or two or possibly three quotes for you. Very good. Thank you, Dieter. And, uh, I'm glad that uh, Glenn mentioned it. I just met uh, Andy Esk. In fact, I bought his book up in Boston. And uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, his input uh, changed the world. Uh, Glenn mentioned that earlier. Yes, he did. And Andy's a, an excellent new president for IAQA. Thanks for joining oh, us he, again, Dieter. Uh, yeah, well, I know, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew him for some time, but, you know, Joe and I and uh, Andy, we worked together a couple of months ago, and uh, he's a great, great guy. And since I was delayed by four hours, <laughs> airport, and I had nothing better to read than Andy's book, <laughs> I read it. <laughs> and you said it was good. <laughs> it is good. I mean, it is a, it's a nuts and bolts uh, book. Not a lot of theory in it. He, well, you, you know Andy. Andy fixes problems. He doesn't talk about them. That's right. That's right. Exactly what the book is all about. Oh, thanks. I said, look, I ran into this problem. Here's the solution. It kind of worked for me. <laughs> all right. Here. Let's go on to Cliff. Uh, Joe, if, if you give me a couple of minutes, I've got three things that I'd like to go over with the guest, and uh, they could be real short answers. I, I guess the first one is, are insurance policies affected by geographic jurisdiction? Like if I'm in New York or California, which might be considered more litigious, uh, does the policy change there as it w might be in Pennsylvania or Ohio or someplace in the Midwest? Well, the answer to that is uh, possibly yes. Uh, the insur each insurance carrier files their forms individually with each state. So there could be different different policy forms on file with different states. Okay. Uh, most carriers do not uh, or currently or have trouble writing uh, in insurance in New York, uh, in New York State. So the the certainly the coverage forms and the rates are severely affected 
for companies that are domiciled in New York or performing work in New York. Uh, must subcontractors have similar insurance to what I would carry as a mold remediation or contractor? Uh, most policies do have a clause that, that uh, require that your subcontractors uh, carry like and similar coverage. Okay. I guess final question. Is Legends a retailer or a wholesaler? Like if I already have an insurance agent, can I still get Legends insurance by using my own agent? Or must I only be, buy it from Legends? No, we, we are a retail and wholesale uh, insurance provider. Uh, we are moving further away from uh, what I would say wholesale, which would be brokerage business, and, and leaning more towards retail. For our specialty niche programs, uh, such as the IEQA program uh, or insurance program, uh, certainly we entertain a lot of uh, brokerage or wholesale business as we understand that uh, uh, many insureds have an agent that they're familiar with, that they're comfortable with. Um, and we certainly work with our agents in that manner. Okay. I've got one, and then uh, I want to give you an opportunity to see if there's anything we missed. But before we do, uh, we talk a lot in these mold remediation courses with the contractors about cross-contamination of other parts of the building. Would that be covered under their mold insurance coverage? Uh, so do you mean like uh, pulling something out of a... Uh, enclosed or encapsulated space and, and bringing it uh, into a, a space that was not uh, uh, encapsulated and causing some cross-contamination that way? Correct. That we were referring yeah, to. so if you didn't have, if you had a containment up and for whatever reason the containment failed or you didn't set it up properly <laughs> and you got contamination in the rest of the building, would that be covered? Uh, it, it would be and should be. I actually have had a couple of claims uh, similar to that that have been covered. Great. Thanks a lot. Brian, anything we missed that you would like to add? Uh, the, the one question that was asked that I didn't answer, which is the, the minimum premium for restoration contractors, uh, that program would include uh, general liability, uh, contractors' pollution liability, mold coverage, and errors and emissions, uh, and the minimum premium for that program for a $1 million, $2 million policy, so $1 million occurrence, $2 million aggregate, uh, would be $5,000. Uh, and certainly go up from there uh, based on risk and receipts. And that would be for fire and water damage restoration contractors also performing mold work uh, and other associated uh, environmental work, including the build back uh, uh, of the structure as well after uh, water extraction or mold work is done. Um, the, the other thing that, I, that Glenn brought up is the Green Summit uh, here in Phoenix in September. Uh, Legends is also a sponsor of the Green Summit, and I will be speaking there uh, about the insurance industry's response to the ongoing green movement uh, uh, during the course of that. So if you happen to be attending, uh, uh, stop in and uh, uh, hopefully you can stop in and catch that presentation. I've got a text question. I think it's a joke. If Skeletor were a consultant, would Brian insure him? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Brian. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, I can be reached uh, on our uh, 800 number, which is uh, 888-261-9298, and I am extension 01. Uh, and I can also be reached at my email address, which is Brian, with an I, M as in Mary, 
at legends, L-E-G-E-N-D-S, hyphen, and viro, E-N-V as in Victor, I-R-O, dot com. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, before we go, I, I'm going to announce next week's guest in just a minute, but before we do, thanks again to Brian McFarland from Legends Environmental Insurance Services, LLC, for a great show. I want to thank Glenn Fellman for joining us again for IE Connections What's News and our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. All right, next week's guest is going to be Mr. Steve Spivak. He's the RIA Technical Advisor for Fibers, Textiles, and Standards. Well, that's pretty timely after the S520 was just approved, so we'll look forward to that. And before we go, I want to thank the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, for helping out here again today. It's always a pleasure, Jeff. It's a blast. And, of course, at the controls, the wingman, Chris Boisel. I want to thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, for joining us again today. But most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners, we set another record last week. Keep them coming. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 